This episode of Warp Five is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club; it's a challenge. You will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. And in the spirit of an enlightened future, TrekFan is absolutely free—not just free to play, but completely free. Find out more by visiting fm.trekfan.org. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for war. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and this week I wanted to share with you a discussion that we've had in the past on one of our other shows called The Ready Room. This is a discussion that I have referenced time and again here on Warp Five, and as it predates the creation of this show. There's a good chance that many of you listening have never heard this conversation that we had about the episode "Unexpected." This was when Trip went over to the Zerillion ship to help them out and got a little more than he bargained for when he stuck his hand into a box of pebbles and ended up with an alien baby. This is an episode of the Ready Room that we titled "Risnipple" for obvious reasons. And we were joined by Dave Rossi, who was an associate producer on Enterprise. And joining Dave and me were my co-host from Literary Treks and the Orb, Matthew Rushing, Drew Stewart, who co-hosts our original series show, Standard Orbit, and Mariel Kieran, who is our news editor here at Trek FM. And we had a great conversation about the episode and. Not just about the humorous elements of Trip going over to the ship and getting pregnant, but also how this episode gave us a rare glimpse of a truly alien environment, and it also introduced us to a number of technologies that we would see later on in Star Trek, including the holodeck and replicator technology. It's also the first hostile encounter between human and Klingon ships, so. I thought you would enjoy hearing this, and also hearing how we discuss Enterprise elsewhere on the network this week. And it's great to hear from Dave himself as well, having worked on the show. So I have trimmed out just the feature discussion part of that episode of the Ready Room, which was published back on May seventh of twenty thirteen, and I'm going to play that for you now, and then I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> Bye. 
my baby What a lovely way of saying how much you love me Having my baby What a lovely way of saying what you're thinking of me I can see it Your face is glowing I can see it in your eyes I'm happy in knowing That you're having my baby As a prequel series, one of the promises of Enterprise was a return to exploring the unknown. And in the early episodes, we saw that, especially what happens when you stick your hands into a box of pebbles with an alien. And what happens is you get pregnant. And that's what happened to Trip in the episode Unexpected. And we're going to talk about that episode today. And to help us do that, we have with us, we have a large panel today. We have our news editor, Mariel Kieran. Hey, Mariel. Hello. Hi. And we have our TOS editor, Drew Stewart. Hi, guys. And also, we have a very special guest. We have with us Dave Rossi, who is an associate producer on Enterprise. Hello, Dave. Hello, everybody. Great. Welcome back to the Ready Room. So, Thank you. Unexpected. Unexpected. This is a, a very fun episode, early episode of Enterprise. And... Um, Dave, I'm going to ask you to kick us off because you actually were there and you worked on this show. Tell us about how Unexpected uh, came to be. Well, um, the first thing is this was, the boy, right up at the front of the run, I believe. Uh, and, you know, the entire idea behind this show was to fill in I mean, the series as a whole was to fill in uh, the gaps that we hadn't known. The prequel series, what happened, what led to Kirk, what led to the formation of the Federation and and uh, and Starfleet the way we know it today. And so, one of the things that uh, that we did want to do is get back to that idea of exploration and uh, what happens when you stick your nose in places it doesn't belong. Uh, I know, you know, early on. Rick used to call me Dr. Death because my my ideas for this was was always uh, we need to kill somebody. Somebody's got to die. Space is dangerous. It's scary. This is the first <laughs> time we're going out there, so this should be, you know, uh, we should exemplify that. Um, but as the, uh, you know, as the series went on, we obviously uh, took a lot of different roads. Uh, second season, uh, brought the bugs and you know so on and so forth. Um, but this episode was, uh, as I said, one of our first ones, and it was really to get a taste of of how kind of wondrous and scary things could be out in space for the crew. And um, Connor Turnier is, I mean, he's so much fun to watch. And he's such a good actor that when we, I remember reading the script and just thinking, oh my God, this script is going to be a blast. And, uh, you know, and everybody was, uh, was very up on it, very, uh, you know, everyone was very excited because it was the beginning of this whole journey. And so, I, you know, the script turned out really well. The story turned out really well. And, uh, and ultimately, I think uh, it is, in a lot of ways, one of the fan favorites. Yeah, Connor was fantastic in this episode. 
Oh, he's so good. All the way through the series. I mean, he's just such a good actor. He's so likable. And, I mean, uh, Scott Bakula the same way. These are guys who, you know, they kind of they kind of give off that test pilot kind of feeling, you know? They're 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 not these polished Starfleet guys like we're used to from the from the other series and certainly that was obviously mm-hmm. the goal uh with Enterprise. So Drew, you you're a TOS editor and you've been making your way through Enterprise. What was your impression of these early episodes and unexpected and all compared to you know that exploration in the original series? I like the exploration. I like running into weird aliens. Um, this episode rubbed me the wrong way a few times. You know, we've got primitive aliens who need our help, who's have cloaking devices and holodecks. And of course, you know, when we find them again, they're trailing behind Klingons. So we've gone from, let's go out where we've never been before and immediately run into aliens that we've seen before. And... <laughs> I also didn't like it seems like every the like the third episode of every Star Trek series is like the naked time. There's the naked time and the naked now where someone gets drunk or hormonal and mm, That's a good point. The 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 thing that I'm I'm noticing is that we don't know we don't know the TOS characters well enough for that to really be powerful, and we really don't know the next generation characters in during Naked Now. That when they act weird, we don't really know because we don't know them. So it's weird seeing Trip, who we we being this is only the second episode after the pilot, we barely know him, and here he is acting out of character. I mean, it's obvious that he's acting out of character because he's acting. Because he's an actor. Woman? Lee? Oh. <laughs> yes. No. Oh. He's playing the, the a woman who is in the early yeah. stages of pregnancy, yeah. And and it's just I, I think that, that episodes like this should come later in the series once we know all the characters. Like the Deep Space Nine's equivalent would be the one where they all get the love bug from uh from Loxana. Loxana. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue this point with you, Drew. The if you look at the naked time, actually, if you look at the run of the original series, you know next to nothing about any of those characters. True. I mean, Spock is the only one. I mean, what do we know about Kirk? He has a brother. Uh, he uh, was a stack of book with, books with legs uh, at the Academy. He, you know, I mean, we don't really know, and McCoy, Scotty, we know nothing about these people, and it really comes out in the performance. I mean, Leonard Nimoy's performance is certainly, in Naked Time, certainly gives you what Spock's problem is in that episode. Uh, But I think that you, episodes like this give these characters a chance to breathe a little early on so that you can kind of get glimpses into what they're like, but but I I mean I see your point I, I see your point it, it, it's uh, uh, you'd like them to be a little more fleshed out before they dive into an episode like this. Yeah, I'd like to see them more in character before I see them acting out of character. Right. But that's something I had to think about. That's not something that that something about the episode just was kind of weird for me. I enjoyed it overall. It's a riot. But uh, I was just trying to trying to find some 
play maybe devil's advocate looking at the group that I'm surrounded by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't get me wrong. I mean, I uh, look, you work on these shows for, you know, I started in the fifth season of Next Generation. And as you go through these shows, I mean, there are shows you like and there are shows you don't like. There, there are creative choices that are made that maybe you wouldn't have made and there are some that you do. And, um, you know, like I, I uh, what I disliked about this episode was finding the holodeck so soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, holographic technology. It was like, uh, you know, that's. It felt like, boy, we've just finished. You know, three hundred something, four hundred episodes of people with holodecks, and now here we are finding the holodeck again. So it, it, that always felt to me like, wow, why are we why are we falling back on that uh, so soon? But but the episode was so much fun, it kind of didn't matter. I think what this episode does was was kind of what Dave brought up, is it gave you an opportunity to quickly get to know who Trip is um, by giving you, you know, you can already tell that he's somebody who's really eager to be out in space and to experience it all. And then he gets hit with that space is not what we expect. You know, he gets hit with the unexpected, not just you know, being pregnant, but I mean, the fact that, you know, you're going to go onto this alien ship and it's completely different. You have to spend three hours in this decon chamber waiting for you to get normalized. Then you have to take a nap just so your body can recover, you know? I mean, so all of those things, I thought this episode gets everything right about what Enterprise should have been doing, I mm-hmm. think, because you're giving us an alien culture that's really different, really weird. I mean, the more out there it is, probably the better. Um, their technology looks freaky weird. Um, and y- you're giving us an opportunity to, to get to know a character by having him do a lot of things. And, you know, the funniest part is, you know, that he does what we all expect him to do when he does get pregnant. He starts exhibiting all these you know, behaviors, which is he's a little more emotional. He's worried about guardrails for kids. He's that, I love that scene. really hungry, you know? I mean, the other, he's eating all the time. His, his crewmate is like, why would you put your hands there? And I'm thinking, and, exactly. and of course, Dave can back me up on this as a parent, and Dave's children are younger than mine, that that's exactly what you're thinking as a parent. You see everything differently, in your, and you can always see exactly how your children are going to hurt themselves Doing yeah, something. Yeah, everything is potential pain. Right. Yeah, you would never expect anyone to do. I love that scene. Well, and, you know, I think too, and I'll say it again Trip is magical, and this episode is magical because of it. And you know, Dave nailed it again earlier was that Connor is just a great performer, really and is. you believe everything that he's doing in this. Um, and that's why I can also believe that Trip can pull this off in the first place. I mean, you have to be a savant of an engineer to be the first Warp 5 engineer. Um, they're not going to just choose anybody. They're going to choose the very best they've got. And that has to be Trip. And, you know, he spends three hours in that decon chamber learning about their technology from T'Pol. He spends a day there. And by that point, he's kind of got it. You know, I mean, it, Warp technology can't be that different from each species so mariel while we're giving our you know kind of first impressions of because this this is the i think fourth produced episode of enterprise so it is right out of the gate and you grew up like me like dave with tos 
what were your impressions? I actually noticed the music um, of the episode really struck me as TOS. Um, and of course, like everybody said, the uh, ship being very alien. I think it was interesting that Trip could go in there and work on an alien ship. I thought that kind of spoke to, yeah, they're very alien, but in the end we're, you know, all in space with generally the same kinds of machinery. I thought that was an interesting... Uh, and and the same type of botany, or a biological, apparently. Right. And that we can procreate. Well, that... <laughs> The, the, not really the same way. I mean, he just sticks his hand in some pebbles. I mean, geez, he doesn't even get to do the deed. Well, <laughs> trip. Well, he did for their culture, but. right? Yeah, she would have been very embarrassed if someone had walked in on them. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it takes four hands to work. That's yeah. my new pickup line. <laughs> well, while we're talking about these pebbles, though, the, what I thought of when I was watching it was she asks, she says, "Your favorite food is catfish." And he's like, how do you know that? And, and I was thinking, you know, if Troy had a box of these pebbles on the bridge of the Enterprise-D, I think she could have done her job so much more effectively. Hold on. Before you negotiate, please come over here and stick your hands in, in this pot. And then she would it's just say something like... and you're soaking in it. <laughs> Captain, I sense that he's angry and he's hiding something from you well thanks troy we all realized that already so then the captain's like uh sir could you come over here stick your hands in this box for just a minute (laughs) i'm sorry i got you pregnant it was usually after the ship shook from a couple shots that she said i'm sensing anger right (laughs) (laughs) um so speaking of the environment and such now I, i know that it turns out that that was grass that was growing on the floor on the bridge, which is kind of cool, actually. I mean, you're. I was out walking yesterday, and and I actually posted a photo of the trails behind my house, and I said, if I could just move my desk out here, this would be ideal. And I was thinking, these aliens, they've kind of captured that. You know, they they've brought the outdoors into their ship environment by growing grass on the bridge. But when you first walk in, and Trip is very disoriented, it looks like carpet. And I thought, well, wall-to-wall carpet on a starship. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Did you somehow read my notes that I didn't <laughs> post anywhere? Because that's exactly what I said. I'm just like, why do they have? Why do they have '70s green shag carpet exactly. in their ship? I mean, that, I guess that's alien. It was a lot uh, creepier in person when we did the set walk. It was creepy. Was it? To to see this mossy weird material growing out of the walls. It was pretty creepy. Yeah, what did it actually look like? Because I have the Blu-rays now, but even on the Blu-rays, you know, you can't tell for sure what it would have looked like in person. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what the... I, I seem to think that they went to like a train hobby store and, and you know, bought that material they use for fake trees and oh, things yeah. like that. And that kind of mossy, moist material. And uh, and it was just that mm. stuff and... and mixed in in different colors and it was uh, it, it's it's so funny how something like that can be disconcerting to me knowing that it's a show and if you know if you think about what's going to happen when we are out there and you do walk onto a ship that's like that i mean it must be quite overwhelming and i think they i think they they kind of played that which is kind of cool 
Yeah, it's really the first time in a... I can't remember the last time where you really had an alien that just felt alien from the moment you kind of walk onto their ship and everything. I mean, you know, you go to a Romulan ship, it looks just like a human ship. I mean, some things are a little bit different, but it's, it's just not... It's not weird. It's just a different aesthetic, you know, but it it's very human. It's so hard to do that. Well, not anymore because of CG, but uh, it's so hard to, it was so hard to do that kind of stuff um, because the production cost, I mean, you're, you're obviously playing to a budget every show. Uh, so it was, it was always very difficult to make super, I mean, everyone's bipedal. Everyone is, you know, it, there's a joke that it was the forehead of the week. I mean, so everyone looks like a person. Um, and so therefore the ships, it was easy to design for those ships because we use those ships. But I mean, today you could do a show today that could, you could really do some freaky stuff that would be really fun. Yeah. It it was like you were saying, Matthew, one of the only times I can remember where you truly felt like, uh, of course, you know, we all joke about how all the races are humanoids and they even tried to explain it on TNG with the chase where they had the story about how this first race seeded the primordial oceans of all the different worlds. But in reality, of course, aliens are going to be quite alien. And even in this situation, it doesn't really go far enough to demonstrate what it probably would really be like if we did encounter someone. But it is by far the biggest attempt that I can remember to, to really illustrate how you, you can imagine that if Trip hadn't gone through that whole, uh, they try to choke him so he can come on the ship and then he acclimates and then he plays the game assignment and then he comes through and he's still so extremely disoriented. You can kind of imagine what it would have been like if he had just walked right through the airlock and walked in there. Oh gosh, it would have been terrible. <laughs> And I think that's, uh, but I think that was something interesting too, you know, um, Dave, you said the thing you don't like about the episode is the holodeck technology, but something I think Drew was saying on the other side of the room, the other side of the room was that, um, you know, each species kind of grows its technology in different ways. And so it just seemed like to me, okay, these aliens, they're not great. Apparently at warp technology. I mean, they're out there, but their warp engines apparently suck. Uh, but you know, they also are apparently really good at things like, um, you know, creating different types of food and being able to materialize those because they have this, you know, uh, replicator type of technology. Apparently they also have a holodeck type technology. So they figured all this stuff out before we do. Um, and and that was just something I found really interesting because that again made these aliens seem alien. I mean, they're not great at one thing, which we're okay at, but they're better at this other area because they've just grown that type of technology before we have. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I appreciated their their holodeck technology and how it the walls were the hologram stickers that we had <laughs> when I was growing up. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, like you school. can see the the step how it went from the hologram stickers to holograms. I, I appreciate. <laughs> I hope that that was a very conscious effort on the production designer's part. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, my fear was at that time uh, that we were then going to incorporate it. You know, once we these people taught us how to do it, we were going to have one, and it was like, oh, please let's not 
let's not go back to that. Let's, you know, flashing forward to Captain Kirk's time was always kind of the touchstone of this. You know, what what can we do back here that won't screw with what we did up there? And um, I mean, it was really it was really fun in the development of the show. To I mean, I was in kind of a unique position in that when Rick and Brandon were working on it, because I was, you know, I, I think probably the only original series Star Trek person that wasn't afraid to walk in that room and give my two cents. And so, you know, Rick and Brandon would invite me in, and, and we'd just talk. They're not necessarily about the development of the show, but just, boy, what, what kinds of, what, what do you think made the original series click so well? And, and, and as we lead up to it, what, what are the things we should, you know, look out for? What, what are the, the, problems we're going to have what you know and so there were there was just these big kind of blue sky open discussions but the 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 initial concept for the show was these guys are out there they are out there on the frontier and it's going to be different and alien and scary and awe-inspiring and so let's do as much of that as we can. And so when this episode was like episode two and it was a holodeck, I was like, oh, no, come on, <laughs> let's not do this yet. Um, unfortunately, we didn't adopt the, the technology, so I was, uh, yeah. I was thankful for that. I, I didn't mind. In fact, I thought it was interesting to see it because if they had given holodeck technology to the NX-01, I would have been really unhappy with that because... Sure. You know, I mean, the first introduction of holodeck type technology was in the animated series, but and that would put it between TOS and and TNG. But we really didn't see it until TNG. If they went back and they put it in Enterprise, everyone would be calling foul. But the fact that they 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 showed that this kind of technology exists, it's out there, and these aliens have it. I didn't mind that. I thought it was kind of interesting to say, oh wow, look, there's that there's that holodeck technology. And it amazes our crew. They can't believe that it's even possible to do something like that. I'm glad it came off that way. That's that's great. Well, and I think what it does really well is it just gives the crew the opportunity to talk about what Riker is going to use the holodeck for, <laughs> which is we don't want to know what he's using the holodeck for. Um, and so I, I, but I, I, just, I just I loved that. I just want to call out that that can we call this uh, in continuity the first uh, holodeck accident? It is a bit of an accident, yeah. isn't it? In more than way, in more <laughs> yeah. ways than one. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ne- knock you up with my hands. <laughs> you know, speaking of her hands, I love the fact that she has a built-in razor. I thought that would be really, really handy to have whenever you need to shave. You just, you know, rub your fingers across your face. Sparks come out. It's horrible at night, though, when you have an itch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although, I'm, 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 I'm going to say, that's got to be the best shave of your life. If, you know, you just have a hot woman just rubbing, <laughs> you know, your face like that. I can't imagine a better shave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> come on, Drew. You were thinking it. Nope. <laughs> Because if she had the power, she'd obviously be that lizard person, and that's kind of weird. But he said she had a certain sensuality to her. You didn't, you didn't see yeah, it, Yeah, exactly. Drew? <laughs> Drew's Maybe. speciest. Maybe, a little. Shut up. 
Oh, gosh. You know, when you watch this in retrospect after you've seen the whole series, you get the feeling here that T'Pol has a bit of jealousy about Trip spending time yeah. with this alien, where I actually think it's it's written anyway, probably just as Vulcan arrogance and indignation towards humans, but it does feel like a little bit of jealousy on her part. I have to say that I did not like to Paul in like the pilot or or up to that point, but her ribbing trip for getting <laughs> pregnant on his first mission <laughs> saved her. I was just like, I like this girl. You know her her whole thing about three days. You were over there for three days. <laughs> well, it's interesting. What didn't Drew? What didn't you like about her to begin with? I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was uh, Jolene Blaylock's acting or or something. She just seemed she just seemed overly cold. Like like I think there's a difference between not having emotions and being emotionless. That was something I was always afraid of after watching after watching the pilot. I was like, I don't know if she gets the line between not letting yourself be emotional and not having emotions. But she eventually found it, and and where I am now, she's really, uh, the character is really grown. It, it is a very tricky line. I mean, it, when you look at the Vulcans from Enterprise, it's easy to see them annoyed a lot of the time at us, mm-hmm. at having to deal with us, and you know we're uh, you're, everybody. We're so used to Leonard Nimoy's portrayal of his Vulcan performance. Um, but when you cut to these these other Vulcans, it's interesting to see how they play it because they do come off as kind of dickish. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, even as the series was going, I kind of wrestled with that a lot too. It was like, well, wait a minute. Is, are they subduing their emotion right now? Are they emotion? What is... Is it? Did we go too far? I, I wonder what your take on it is. How your take on the Vulcans uh, through Enterprise? Because they obviously had a big role. Well, I personally, I know a lot of fans are really upset about how the Vulcans are portrayed in Enterprise, and I personally like it. I, I agree with you. They come off as as dickish a lot, and T'Pol comes off as as arrogant. But at the same time, what I don't like in in Star Trek sometimes in science fiction is if you see a race and you're dealing with cultures over the course of centuries and they never change. And it's one of the problems I have with the Klingons in Enterprise is that the Klingons in Enterprise are the same Klingons that we see in every series. There is there is no change or growth. Their ships look a little bit older. Their, you know, chamber... Except in this episode. Looks little, except in this episode where they bring out the Katinga-class battlecruiser, yes. But... The Vulcans actually seem more realistic here. This is where you can see, especially if you think about Vulcan history and what had led up to this point in time in their culture and how they change over the course of two or 300 years in the series to what we see when we get to Spock and then when we get to later Vulcans like like Tuvok. I think it works. I think that I would expect the Vulcans to be different at this point in time. And 
And uh, I'm sorry, let me interrupt you real quick. What, when you say you know that there's a lot of Enterprise fans that are uh, upset by the portrayal of the Vulcans, in what way? They, they, in, in that they're too, uh, they're too angry, or they're too, uh, they're carrying a lot of emotional subtext. I think is that what you mean? I think it's that. Yeah, that they're maybe too emotional, or that they're too controlling or deceptive. Like they don't seem like they're operating off of logic in the way that. Spock and later Vulcans do. It's like they're they're trying to undermine, or they're trying to hold down humanity in some way. And I think I think it's that, and and it's kind of the attitude that they portray. I think right. people expect it to be more of that uh, Spock, or especially I think a lot of people expect the Vulcans to be more like Tuvok, because so many people these days grew up as Voyager fans because of, of the age group now. And they and and you know Tim Russ played like the flattest possible Vulcan portrayal in terms of right. like it's I have no emotions it's just pure logic and Harry Kim do your damn job you know that's like his <laughs> right. attitude and well and that's that's what made I think to Paul for me a, a breath of fresh air and especially by the time you get to this episode it doesn't take very long. But she starts to have just a little bit of that Spockishness to her, where she is she is ribbing Trip in this episode on purpose because she knows it's going to get under his skin, and she likes that. And uh, I I appreciate that about her. Um, I I mean I felt bad for Trip because he didn't do anything. I mean he was a perfect gentleman the whole time. Um, you know, he, he was a great representative of Starfleet and, and humankind to them. And she just keeps digging into him and, and there's nothing he can do to say that she's going to believe because as Drew so happily put, she just says three days. <laughs> and the other side of the room of that conversation was three days, three days. And you couldn't keep it in your pants. Seriously, trip. <laughs> that was the other side of the room that we didn't get to see. <laughs> Uh, in that conversation and i just i do feel bad for him because she's she's laying into him hard and well, i think i think you stumbled onto an interesting supposition which is uh in encountering humanity you might think that the vulcans get a glimpse at their older selves and they realize we need to hunker down a little more <laughs> <laughs> We're going to we're going to go back to being these guys. We so we the, the evolution of Vulcans from Enterprise up through um uh, I mean I, we're reversing time here but uh, from Captain Archer's time through to uh Spock's time and then and then Voyager um it seems like they had, they hunkered down a lot more. They they really buried their emotions after that. So that's kind of an interesting I would that's an interesting take on it. Maybe they're trying to set a better example for humanity. That's true. God knows we could use it. <laughs> well, and especially especially with the just the the trouble they caused later on in the series, uh, you know, you can really tell that they have gone away from Surak's teachings and really are not who they even wanted to be in the first place. And so, the Vulcans that we deal with for a hundred years, poor Henry Archer and his son, are not really who even the Vulcans wanted to be. They just become this because they've lost their way and i that's fantastic yeah weirdness going on with them and i think that makes for a realistic portrayal uh so i i like the way the vulcans are handled in enterprise i i think star trek would be boring if it were always 
the same. I mean, it's. I mean, that's why we went back to yeah. this prequel era is so that we could get more history. I mean, if we wanted, I mean. Here, I was going to list down a bunch of things. If we wanted Klingons and Ferengi and Borg, and oh wait, they're all in Enterprise. <laughs> well, the Borg, right? If <laughs> right? If we wanted all that stuff the way that they always were, we could have kept Voyager going yeah. for another, you know, back home. And now they're just wandering around the Alpha Quadrant. Right. The Borg inclusion didn't bother me. That one I can see. Yeah, that made sense. That one's okay. really cool. The Ferengi one was a mistake, yeah. and even Rick Berman and Brian Braga will say that that was just a mistake. The Ferengi shouldn't. Have yeah, been that was there. that was painful. I I remember um, uh, having a chat with Rick and Brandon and just uh, saying, "Do do we really want to? You know, we we establish a next generation that that you know this is a kind of a recent species for humanity to have uncovered. Do we really want to go here? And you know, they had a story in mind and and they ran with it. So uh, you know, they 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 followed what they felt they wanted to do and they were the bosses. So there was, yeah. it's, you know, it's a, it's not a right or wrong choice. It's their choice. I mean, I liked the episode. I liked the, uh, the all-star cast of Ferengi. That was really cool. Right. Well, yeah. Jeffrey Combs is everywhere. He is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. Nice. It's, uh, uh, as for the Klingons, you know, I wanted the, the way I saw it, I wanted the Klingons to be really scary. I mean, I wanted them to be scary uh, for our crew and for the audience. Uh, I wanted to see Klingons in a way we hadn't seen them before. Um, a lot more savage and a lot more, uh, uh, maybe a little more uh, berserker when they get mad. Not, you know, I mean, we, it, it, unfortunately in Next Generation and, and those other shows, Klingons were used as a, signpost for how bad the other guy was. You know what I mean? If you could beat up a Klingon, you were really bad. And so mm -hmm. Worf got beat up a lot. And um, and I, I always, you know, whatever. It is what it is. You have to, you have to kind of make those sacrifices. But uh, it, it was funny, in this episode, so the original script idea was that uh, was what was filmed. It's the uh, Klingon goes into the holodeck and he says, I can see my house from here and they're in this kind of Klingon Valley. But before that happened, um, it was a weekend before the, the script was locked. Rick said to me, I know you have some ideas about the Klingons. Why don't you take the weekend and write up how you would do this holodeck scene? And uh, I said, okay, great. And, you know, I'm not expecting that it was going to be used. I'm, you know, Rick was a guy who once he set his mind to something that was kind of how you moved forward. And in television, you kind of have to do that. Uh, but I appreciated the opportunity. And so I went home and I thought about it for a little while. And so my, my take on it was when I gave it to him was, so this, this Klingon captain hands this alien this chip and he puts it in the wall and the door opens and this Klingon captain walks in and just as we're about to follow him, another Klingon puts his hand up and kind of shoves us back and the door closes and so it's just this captain in there. And we're outside. We're with, with Archer and Trip, and all you hear is screaming. Just agonizing screaming. And the door opens and the Klingon captain as he's walking towards us, an alien falls over dead, and you realize that behind him there are all these different kinds of aliens, and they're all dead. And he walks out with his knife, and he rubs it on his leg, and the door wipes the blood off his, you know, 
blade, puts it away, the door closes, and he says to the aliens, we'll take it. And, you know, as far as the technology goes. And, uh, and you know, they filmed it the way they wanted to. That was they, The episode was lighter. They wanted to highlight more the wonder of the holodeck and less of the kind of meanness of the Klingons. Um, but I thought that would have been fun to, to, to really see the fear on Trip and Archer's face when this one guy walks into this room and walks out and five other aliens are dead. And, uh, and you know, that's what they take for uh, enjoyment, you know. I really, I liked that Archer does not know how to talk to Klingons in this episode. He has no clue <laughs> what to do. And that it, it takes to Paul saving his ass yeah. in front of the Klingons to get them to cooperate. And I really do like, and, and Dave, I like your idea and I think it would have been awesome but I at least like at the very end of the episode that the Klingons are not happy that this has happened in the first place and they don't want to have anything to do with us. In fact, they'd rather have destroyed the Enterprise right. um, than have done anything with them. And I like that you you leave this episode. I mean, it's a fun episode till you get to that point and you realize this is not going to be happy the next time that Klingons and humans You don't meet. necessarily want to meet these guys again. No, exactly. And I, I think at that, at least, I'm glad they at least kept some of that idea that you were trying to put in there, um, because I do think these Klingons scare me more than, you know, what I'm used to on, say, Deep Space Nine or uh, Voyager or whatever. Well, if they had gone with your idea, Dave, then definitely we wouldn't want to meet these guys again, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's what I found kind of compelling about it, is that if you saw a Klingon ship, you... You would kind of have the same feeling you do when you see a Borg ship approaching. I mean, you, you yeah. as a viewer, when you see that ship approaching, you feel dread. You feel like some bad shit is going to happen right now. You know, it's like, for, you know, for a, a comic book fan, it's when Darkseid or Thanos shows up. You know, you just go, oh, no, this is going to be bad. And I just, I thought... I just wanted that kind of visceral feeling for people yeah. about Klingons again because uh because I, I never felt they were given the you know, the uh strength that they that they needed to have. And on DS nine they do a lot of really cool stuff with the Klingons. Right. But, um uh but I mean we still established that and, and they still did it and again it goes back to my Doctor Death syndrome, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> More danger T'Pol does have her line here where she says that is a Klingon battle cruiser. She, you can tell that the Vulcans don't want to encounter Klingon cruisers <laughs> in space. They know. It yeah, is. I mean, look, they didn't want to. They didn't want to uh, do it from the pilot episode. They were like, "Oh, this is bad. Yeah, <laughs> this is not good." Another thing that I liked about this episode is that T'Pol saves the day using continuity, using the power of continuity. Because uh -huh. I'm a big fan of of referencing things that that came before and you know voyager was so set apart like each episode stands alone and sometimes they'll mention something that happens before and you know tos doesn't remember what happened the week before at all true yeah that was a <laughs> but, different time. but I, I really liked that was like my first hint that enterprise is going to be different it like after minefield and the ship was still damaged in the next episode i was like what <laughs> but this is my first clue that that things might actually get to get to be continuity 
which which I really appreciated. I was like, she she kind of pulled it out there. <laughs> yeah, it's really a it's really a showcase for a lot of the characters in that show, and and uh, so early on as well. It's, it was very it's a it's a really fun, well put together show. While we're talking about technologies here, at any rate, we talked about the holograms. Uh, they also we see two other technologies for the first time here. One of them's a replicator technology, where they, he says, they apparently have the ability to you know resequence proteins and make, but they're they're not very good at making water apparently because it's like a clear jello. It's like um, <laughs> right, that you can feed your partner yeah. centrally. Yeah, yeah, it's I noticed it's like, that. Yeah, Sprite Jello. It was Jello Shooters, is what it was. Jello Shooters, that's right. She can give me as many of them as she wants. <laughs> but then, so she says, this is as close as we could come to water. Then they're in a boat on water. Or are they in a boat on Jello? I don't know what they're on, but it seems like, so on this world, they have water and they have boats, but yet they can't actually make water. Not to mention the, uh, the eels or whatever they were were swimming through uh, that they walked by. That certainly looked oh, like water. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's the that's the problem. Uh, with the with the holodeck, I was going to say, well, maybe it's not as interactive as modern modern. Yeah, so it's a different. Maybe it's the difference between holographic technology and the ability to replicate actual things. Yeah, uh, and, and that would make sense, except for the fact that she picks up the dirt and she's just like, look, it's dirt. We made dirt. dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay, I did get the feeling that even though it, it kind of felt like dirt, the whole environment doesn't look, and I'm sure it's just the CGI work, but it just doesn't look as polished as, as you would think it should for, you know, uh, you know, a real hollow deck, and so when they get on the boat, it doesn't really look like great replicated water. It looks like a strange kind of facsimile. They were actually it, floating on founders. There you <laughs> go. Exactly. <laughs> it was yeah. the Great Link. <laughs> of course, yeah. so much. Yeah, it's not really holodeck technology. It's just all the founders linked together, <laughs> shape shifting into what you want. But I, I will say, like the entire environment, including the aliens' skin, their uniforms, everything about that environment, it felt kind of like if if you ran the world through the plastic wrap filter on Photoshop. <laughs> and <laughs> so, uh, I, I can see where I mean, creatively, you could think of it as it, it maybe is an attempt to show that this is how trip is seeing the environment through human eyes after he has partially acclimated to it, but not fully. And that the environment really is very, very alien. And this is just his perception of it. Done. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I like it. The, it's sold. Well, the other technology here, while we're talking about technology, is cloaking technology, where T'Pol says they seem to have some sort of stealth technology in it. Even though they have encountered Klingons, and the Vulcans have certainly encountered Klingons before, even T'Pol seems kind of surprised by a technology that could actually hide a ship, which kind of implies that the Klingons at this point in time don't have cloaking technology either. No, the Klingons don't ha- don't get it till the middle of TOS. After they get uh, from the Romulans. The Klingons won't get it until they deal with the Romulans. Yeah. So that would mean that uh, the Vulcans later. have 
no experience with the Romulans at this point. I'm just trying to, I, well, I'm looking at yeah. like what, if I go backwards from this, from the comments that are made on Enterprise, what can I extrapolate about the various races in the Star Trek universe? Well, it's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, stepping on toes when it comes to continuity when you're doing this. I mean, certainly, now, I, I don't remember exactly how we got out of the, the Romulan episodes with the cloaking device and 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 didn't stab Spock in the chest when he realizes that you know the Romulans look like Vulcans and they have this cloaking technology. Right. Um, but they, uh, how did we get out of that? I think y'all got out of it because the the oh we never knew the, who the, what the ship was. Right, yeah. you don't know you who never, the ship is. You never and, say the word Romulan. Right, and the <laughs> cloak doesn't work all the time like it keeps phasing in and out so it's like they're they come across a romulan ship that is you know practicing with the cloak and the cloak is not working the way they need to and but yeah we never learned that it's a romulan ship we know it because of what it looks like as the viewer if you've seen all the other stuff but you know if you're just watching Enterprise for the first time and that's it, you wouldn't know who these people were. You would think that it, right. after a few hundred years that Spock would have seen every episode of Star Trek, though. I mean, he's had enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Spock doesn't watch a lot of TV. Amanda did not allow TV in the house, and, you know. He just watched oh. Firefly over and over. And yeah. <laughs> he, did, he did get to see Romulans, but he didn't believe it because it was in some kind of... He got like a, a cross beam from some kind of alternate universe where like he was really old for some reason, but he was also young. <laughs> he was very confused. He just turned it off. Let's talk about the Vulcans there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Tripp's pregnancy a little bit because that, of course, is the result of his actions in this episode. It's impressive that it's taking this long yeah. for us to well, and I have a, I have a question. Pregnancy. I have a question, Dave, because you were there behind the scenes. Now, is it true that the original title for this episode was going to be Wrist Nipple? <laughs> yes. That's probably just that's, the name of the show. No, that's titillating. No. No. <laughs> oh, man. I have to say, I was rather impressed by Flocks that he knew that was a nipple like that quick. And the delivery <laughs> of the line by John Billingsley is that that is a nipple. <laughs> Just like every single line that he delivers. Well, it's but, incredible. It, yeah. It, but, but I mean, come on. He, he scanned it with the tricorder. It would have told him what it was doing. I mean, it's, it's not like nipple. Flocks is a complete genius. He has some technology. <laughs> I want to see the tricorder readout for that. Yeah. It's a nipple. Yeah. <laughs> it's nipple. Just a nipple. With an arrow, a flashing arrow. <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, but yeah. I love Connor's performance, though, in this episode, both his shock at finding out that he's pregnant. And then what, of course, it's exaggerated a bit as he goes, uh, you know, the the mood swings and the wanting to eat everything he could get his hands on. Exaggerated. Uh, That's just a man being pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> That's why women are the ones who get pregnant. I mean, come on. Right. I've known so, a few pregnant women. My sister's one of them, and they get weird cravings. My friend who's pregnant made her husband go out and get her a hot dog because she had to have a hot dog because 
the movie they were watching, they were eating hot dogs, and she needed it then. So it's not like it's crazy. So this is like true. I've done that, and we're not pregnant. <laughs> my my wife um, hates fast food. Hates, and McDonald's is right at the top of the list of things that she hates. And while she was pregnant, we had to go get a McDonald's cheeseburger, and she sat in the car and ate it while she was crying. <laughs> oh. I mean, so she ate it, ate every bite, and she was like, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. I mean, it's, you know, it's a bizarre time. Huh. Awesome. And he pulls it off. Pulls it off very well here. But when he's in the mess hall with Phlox and, and Archer and, and they're eating the yeah, you know, the chicken tetrazzini. Yeah. And he and he asked the guys like, "Can I get some more of this? Yeah. This is really good." And he's like, "I'd love some it. more of this." <laughs> yeah. And and he he's his mouth is still full of food while <laughs> right. he's saying it. And then of course, they're having the argument still about all that's going on, and the guy, he doesn't realize has been standing there with the food. And he's been hearing like half of this conversation and Connor just kind of rips it through his hands. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's how everybody knows. The guy walks in as Phlox is saying, you may just be putting this nipples to work before you know it. <laughs> and the crew member's face, I mean, if you just watch his expression, he's just like, shock and terror. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's an archer so talking about like, well, you could, you don't have to wear your uniform. Because it'll, you know, wearing your wearing your regular clothes will help hide the bulge. And I like when he like comes that's in. That's not weird. When he comes in with that shirt on, and I know we've seen Trip in the civilian clothes in the past, but in this case, when he comes in with that shirt on, I really feel like he's trying to wear this ba- baggy shirt to to hide. It's his man moo moo. It's his man moo moo. <laughs> it's a man moo moo. Trip's man moo moo. <laughs> Maternity. <laughs> man maternity clothes yeah maternity for men by trip <laughs> it's magical oh gosh it's uh there's you know what i like about also about that episode that was fun that just uh, jumped into my head it this is the episode where the the gravity goes off in the shower right yes the, yes. the scene with archer i love that scene i think that's really fun too Mariel's been waiting scene. to talk about this. <laughs> I have a reason. It's not... Okay, yeah, it is kind of... <laughs> no, it, I just thought it was interesting to see how, you know, minor problems can make mundane activities in space, you know, a little troublesome. That's and all. you liked seeing was... Archer naked. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think Trip is magical, okay? We differ <laughs> on this opinion, Matt. <laughs> Mariel and I talked about this last week on on Colin's show about the the privacy screens on these on these showers and how they always seem to cover up just the naughty bits and <laughs> Archer's seems to like move up as he moves up like like it, it knows that there's a camera watching it wraps it. around of course it does <laughs> It's that it's yeah. that smart. You know, everything's it's becoming smart. We have smartphones. We're going to have smart watches. This is the smart privacy screen. It moves with we you. We really don't need that. It just make sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. They're they're very prudish. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
No, the, I I actually think that that's a fantastic scene. One because it looks good. I mean, the water yeah, and everything, everything they do there, and it it's a great way to open up a show. And it definitely lives up to their promise that this is going to be a sexier trek because the ladies, <laughs> they got their archer fix. Yes, we did. <laughs> I like that. That's the teaser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like how that's the teaser. That's the entirety of the teaser is gravity goes off, gravity comes back on. But it it, it is cool. It's like Enterprise. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> that was it. Drew's like, what just happened here? <laughs> Something that's that's uh, inherently fun about this and the entire series is that I, I think as we went on, everyone we met was more advanced than us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just about every alien was more advanced than us. Our, our stuff was like, you know... Um, you know, damn the torpedoes, and you know we had showers going out, and uh, I mean I, the, the shuttles were dropped on this big giant umbilical umbilical cord that kind of went down through the you know bombardier the bombardier doors, and I, it was I, in that respect I think it's really fun that that uh, that we're out there on this ship that's uh, so ready and not ready at the same time. Yes. I, I love that. I love that the Enterprise is not, it's not perfect. And a lot of time it's them dealing with just problems, not even problems that are happening from outside influences, but just because the ship is untested. Yeah. I mean, I, I um, things like deflector shields and I mean, especially phasers, man, I, you know, the first time they test the phasers and they blow up that range of mountain range or whatever it was, I mean, I I love the idea of of showcasing something like phasers to say, this is why this is the chosen weapon of these people for the next couple of hundred years. I mean, because when they fired those phasers, it was pretty wicked. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really awesome, and and I think that I mean, this is a show that I think a lot of fans when they first saw it the first time in the first run, they were just like, what? What is this? Why is this on my screen? I don't get this. <laughs> because they didn't really get the idea of what we've been talking about this whole time. The Enterprise is supposed to be something new. These people haven't ever been in space. You've seen 700 hours of Star Trek. These people don't know that stuff exists yet. You need to forget all that and, and live as if you were the one walking into space for the first time. And I love that Enterprise lets me do that. And I love every single season of Enterprise. I don't care which one it is. There's some clunkers just the way there is in every single show. But this show, more often than not, gets it right. And, you know, from you know hearing Brandon and, and uh, Rick talk on the uh, Blu-rays recently... Um, you know, if they had gotten to do what I think what they really wanted to, this show would have just been insanely awesome. Um, and you know, the studio just wanted, you know, normal Trek and, and they had to fight to get this to not be normal Trek. Yeah. Um, and this was the first, this was really the first series The the studio had gone through a complete turnover of hierarchy and, um, this was the very first Star Trek show of the four series that we all did that there was involvement from the studio and the network from, uh, I mean, I guess it started to happen towards the end of Voyager, but next gen DS nine and the bulk of Voyager, 
it was a, a very unique situation in that we were able to do uh, set the course for the show the way we wanted with little to no involvement at all. And that was a big change when Enterprise came around because then suddenly we were getting notes from UPN. We were get, I mean, there was like, what? Jeez, I, I, I remember one of the notes was, um, "Hey, do you know that place where they all eat?" Right. I know this story. <laughs> yeah, the mess hall. Um, what if every week or once every three or four episodes there was a new band playing music in there yeah oh god sorry. where would they have come from exactly it's like oh we've got newfound glory in the back they've they're just always behind the camera you, you know, can't see them the, no, and, the and way to they, eat it those are we know bands can get are, on the ship yeah right exactly <laughs> those are marketing notes but it's like you know you should understand the concept of the show look i understand you're trying the new trend is get live music and then that live music can be sold and you know it's a whole tie-in we we, we get it but this is not the show for that <laughs> this is not the show where that should happen can you just have Archer and Paul perform every week? You know, maybe you can have them do some Billy Joel one week. And no, this isn't Glee, damn it! Yeah, it's a you know, I, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are notes that come from uh, networks and studios that are that make sense and are quite logical and and fun and actually can help a show. We were not getting a lot of that. Right, I've heard this story before, Dave, and I, I believe. I was told Brandon's response to them was like, have you seen the show? It takes place exactly. in the future on a spaceship. <laughs> like, where were the bands going to come from, like True said? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how, you know, in, in some cases, the, the, it's a case of the tail wagging the dog. And it's, you know, Rick fought and fought and fought to make this as much of what he wanted it to be as he could. I mean, there before the show started, I had a meeting with the heads of licensing um, who were no longer here, but we had lunch and, and it was right when word had slipped out that we were going to do a prequel. And they said to me, would you talk to Rick about not making it a prequel? Because what we want to do is have new uniforms that don't spin. Now, when they heard prequel, they were thinking back to Captain Kirk's time. Mm -hmm. So they were like, you know, we'd love to put new toys out that are new ships into the future, and new uniforms and new guns. And, new and I said, wait a minute. You want me to go to the executive producer of this television series that hasn't even been born yet and tell him to please make it a story that's in the future so you can sell more toys. And to them, <laughs> it was completely logical. It made perfect sense. Well, yeah. You know, and it's like, well, guys, I, y you know, I, you might as well just carry my head home with you now. Are you insane? Uh, but in, in a lot of ways, that's how this, these, these things work. Unfortunately, we were immune to a lot of that stuff. But, but it, 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 you know, it took Rick going to the mat a lot of times. Yeah, I and I and I know that now, you know, a lot of people who initially kind of balked at this series have rewatched it, and they're liking it. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I don't know when it was, maybe a month and a half ago or two months ago or something. I got an email from a friend of mine who's, who works at CBS, and he said, 
you're not going to believe it. Rick just joined Twitter, and his his first tweet was uh, something like, "Here I am, come and get me. I can take it." And I said, "Well, geez, I got to join up Twitter now." You know, <laughs> I was certain that there was just going to be this assault on him, and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to sign up too, and just to, just for a little moral support for when people start lashing out at him." And there's none of that. People are are you know. Telling him, boy, I'm I'm rewatching Enterprise, and I really like it. It's a lot better than I remember it being the first time around, and and I don't know what what the the, the effect is that happened for people to have that turnaround. I, think, I don't know if it's because they're uh, uh, I don't know they have a different view of what the bad robot guys are doing, or if it's just that it took time for them to kind of appreciate the show. I don't know, but it's it's uh, it's nice to see it. I think it's time. I think that. Following Voyager, fans wanted a continuation of the 24th century, and they got this instead, and it wasn't what they wanted, and so they just tuned it out. And now that enough time has passed and people are wanting new Star Trek again, they're, they're saying, well, we're not getting a new series, so I'm going to go back and watch the series that I blew off originally. And now that enough time has passed that they don't have that feeling of wanting the continuation of Voyager anymore. They're watching it for what it is, and they're seeing that right. it has good character-driven stories, it has continuity, and it does make an effort to recapture the sense of wonder and exploration from the original series, as well as try to, to fill in a lot of the gaps in Star Trek history, and they're finding that it actually is a good show. Yeah, and I mean, so- it's really difficult to... Uh just like with any other show that has any kind of fan following like this does the 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 fans are are diverse in their views of what things should be i mean there are i mean even the discussions we've had tonight between ourselves joking around it's uh they're not joked uh, you know about about which series we like or what we started with and the kind of ribbing each other that gets accentuated a lot online, and there are people who, you know, I hate DS9, and and uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, well, I hate yours, and I, you know, and it, it becomes this kind of you, you can get that very easily from from the fan base. Mm-hmm. So it's very, um, it's very nice to see this turnaround. I look, I know there are guys, uh, there are people that are purists. There are look, I am a diehard original series fan. I, you're. you're Next Generation has a very special place in my heart because of the first show I ever worked on, and it happened to be Star Trek. But the original series is always going to be that thing that captured my imagination as a child. That doesn't mean that you, you know, you have to disparage what comes after it. You can take joy in all of these things. Find what you like about it. Now, if you, if you can't do that because it's not. Jean-Luc Picard or Captain Kirk or Ben Sisko or whatever your thing is, then uh, to me, you're not really a fan. You're a fan of that series, you're but you're of, not a Star Trek fan. You're a fan of that series. I feel yeah. the same way about Star Wars. <laughs> 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 if you're not a fan of it all, then you're not a fan at all. <laughs> See, that that that's actually a discussion I've been wanting to have. This may not be the place for it, but definitely the, the <laughs> Star Wars, Star Trek, how you can not like some parts of the series and still be a Trekkie, but if you don't like some Star Wars, you're not a Star Wars fan. Uh, that's something Matt and I can do on the side. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that on the other side of the room. Yeah. <laughs> I think what we'll do is we'll stick a knife in the floor 
and then we'll tie your wrists together at one end <laughs> of the room, ah. and we'll do we'll do a little Captain Kirk, Captain Tracy action, and see you guys go at it. I was okay. hope, or we could just have like an Andorian fight scene. We get locked, and we have those great ice cleavers and. I'll take your blood to Andorra. Well, you guys should get a bunch of, of diehard Star Wars fans on here, and you should, uh, you know, ha- have that Star Trek Star Wars conversation. <laughs> we should, yeah. All right. Well, we've been talking about Unexpected for a bit over an hour, so why don't we wrap up our discussion with our final thoughts and our ratings. And Drew, why don't you kick us off with your final thoughts on Unexpected? Well, I, like I said at the beginning, I, I'm torn on it. Uh, I, I I actually started numbering the the positives versus the negatives, the what I liked and what I didn't like from the episode. And even if the the what I didn't like numerically outweighed what I did like, the the quality of what I did like outweighed what I didn't. Sounds like a very, very Vulcan analysis of this episode, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just trying to go with, with, with quality over quantity. And I, and I, I do like the episode. Uh, I like it more now that we've, we've talked about it. Usually like we usually do. Uh, once I've discussed it, I feel better about said episode. And, and I think that I'm going to give it a uh, four hands in, in weird pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's like in vitro fertilization. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. You'll be octodad. <laughs> How about you, Mariel? Um on the surface, I think it's a very uh interesting and funny episode. Um it's you know, funny to see Trip be pregnant. He's a guy, obviously, that's out of our, you know, worldview. Um, one thing we didn't really talk about, though, was kind of how it represents gender issues. Um, I mean, if he had been a woman, you know, what would they have treated it as important to go find the Zerillians and make them take the baby? So, I mean, that was kind of in my head as I watched it. I I think I would probably end up giving it five cubes of water out of 10. Excellent. And Matthew? You know, I got to pick the episode this week, and uh, this is actually one of my favorite Enterprise episodes. Um, It's just such a good time. It it is so much fun. And for all the reasons, though, that we talked about, I mean, we're just Discovering a really alien race, you know, they, you know, I don't just get to beam over to their place and I can automatically, you know, breathe their air, everything's fine. You get over to their ship and like Dave talked about when he was on set, it looks freaky, um, you know, it, it doesn't look natural at all. I mean, they got grass growing on the walls, are they potheads, what's going on here? Um, and, and then the aliens themselves are very kind of strange and then of course you know you stick your hands in some pebbles and you turn out pregnant uh this is this is what sci-fi should do and i appreciate it that enterprise went the extra step um and honestly too this episode every time i watch it i feel like it's a tos episode 
kind of the look and the feel of the Zerillions looks very TOS-ish. When you get inside their ship, it has this weird 60s sensibility to it as well, um, which I really like. Uh, Drew talked about you walk into the hollow deck and you get those, you know, it looks like those hollow stickers all over the wall. It just looks like a 60s set. Um, so I really felt that TOS feel. I felt like they were just giving some love to something we don't see very often. And so I really, really like this episode. Um, and, and for me, oh gosh, rating wise, I, I think I'm going to have to go with 12 extra nipples. Wow. That is a high rating. That is a, that is a superfluous amount of nipples. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Dave? Uh, I think that coming out of the uh, to have this episode coming out of the gate, um, I think it really illustrated what the show is going for. It sums it up in a lot of different ways, and that's um, I mean it's what everybody's talking about here. It's it's that sense of exploration, that sense of the different, that sense of things that are terrifying and awe-inspiring that we will no doubt run into when we're out there. Um, and it also, I think, has some really charming performances, some of the best in the in the entire run of the show. Um, and, and I think it endears a lot of those characters to us right from the get-go. So I think that it's a really powerful, fun episode in that way. I give it 10 Superman symbols. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Great. Well, I think you guys have said pretty much everything. I, you know, I agree. It does a very good job of capturing the spirit of Enterprise and what the show could be as a prequel. Uh, as with some of the episodes just before this one with Strange New World and Fight or Flight, it captures that kind of sense of, of wonder of the, the unknown that's out there. And as the title suggests, the unexpected. There's just uh, all kinds of cool stuff here, food growing on the walls. And it's, uh, it's um, a very interesting episode. And I like getting those glimpses of the technologies the the hollow, hollow closet I call it in this episode because it's so small. <laughs> and the um, replicators, you know, cloaking technology mentioned. Connor Trenier's performance is just so wonderful in this episode. So I give this one eight plates of chicken tetrazzini. Nice. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> All right. Something you want to tell us, man? <laughs> well, I was on a ship. <laughs> and uh played a game it's an awfully baggy shirt you got on there today matthew <laughs> i was hoping you wouldn't notice <laughs> so there you go that was our discussion of unexpected on the ready room a little over a year ago i hope you enjoyed listening to that and i wanted to share with you you know here on warp 5 we break down the minutiae of the series and sometimes I'm asked, why don't you do episode reviews? Well, we do sort of do episode reviews, or at least do episode discussions on the Ready Room. And every fifth episode is about Enterprise. So I wanted to share that with you, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And I hope you'll also go over to the Ready Room and subscribe and check out the show and enjoy our discussions of Enterprise there, as well as our discussions of the other four series. Now, we've been talking about a lot of other things on the network over the past week on our various shows, some of them with Drew on Standard Orbit as well. So here's a quick look at some other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. 
I mean, like, like it's it's been talked about, you know, by Shatner that he's like, oh, I wanted to have the Enterprise find God or something like that. Well, how does that work? You know, well, right. You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't work the way you're doing it in this movie. Earl Grey. What if it was like a geeky tween boy? Data, Data, where are you? They're just like, shut that off. <laughs> Mr. Data, I've got a problem. The Ready Room. When they finally do get rid of Decker, it's on Kirk's personal authority as captain of the Enterprise. And like, it seems to me if you're, say, a captain in the U.S. Navy and an admiral takes command of your ship, you can't just like get rid of him because of your personal authority as captain of the ship. The Orb. And again, it's, it's something, as you know, as we said before, the system is not set up to allow him to express that idea in any other way. But by the spectacle of this trial, which would presumably be impossible to hide, it is a way for him to express this alternate viewpoint that maybe the, the morality of his society is, uh, is under threat. To the journey! We are here to talk to you about a very heavy-handed topic. This is kind of a dark area for us. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about death and Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. When they fall out the pod people, and they say, why, what year is it? And Data says, why, it's the Earth year 2364. I fell off my chair 47 <laughs> times. It's like, they just put the, oh, my, okay, okay. Warp 5. Archer doesn't close himself off to any possibility. He takes the evidence and comes to the best choice that he can. And that's not always easy for anyone. But that's the kind of person that Degra is, too. Melodic Treks. In fact, it had two versions of the theme, one which ran from seasons one to three, and one which ran from season four onwards. Now, some people prefer the first music with the poignancy of the lone trumpet, others prefer the second incarnation. Continuing Mission. If we were to sort of able to rewrite the canon, the uniforms we've got, they were the uniforms in the middle of... Enterprise and TOS, but because they were designed during a time when peace wasn't as prosperous as it is in the original series, the uniforms did have a bit more of a militaristic look to them. Literary tricks. You know what I love about comics, though, sometimes is what happened here in this panel with Beverly and Troy. Clearly, Troy's stunt double wandered into the scene. I was going to say, is that Troy? <laughs> And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. We're in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're on Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. We're on Spreaker, BlackBerry, Swell. We're even in SoundCloud now. So you can find us pretty much anywhere. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to, and you will find us there. Plus, you can go to our website, and you can stream the episode from the show page, and you can also grab the RSS link and drop that into your favorite podcatcher. If you're an iTunes user, be sure to drop by and check out our artist page. We have nearly a thousand episodes here on the network now, which is really hard for me to believe, but it means that we have tons of great interviews and discussions and character analyses and all sorts of content for you to enjoy, like this discussion about Unexpected that I shared with you today. It can be difficult to find that older content, and what we tried to do there on our artist page is to help some of that bubble up. 
as we create sections based on themes. We change those out from time to time. It's just a great way to find all of our content. The quickest way to get there is to go to itunes.com slash trekfm in your browser, and that will open up our section right there in your iTunes application. And while you're there, if you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you, and also it helps other Enterprise fans find Warp 5 as they're searching for Star Trek shows in the iTunes store. Another great way to sample all of the content that we have on the network is to subscribe to the Trekka Film Complete Master Feed. This contains every episode of every show we do, and it gets new content every single day, usually two or three episodes, in fact. And you can find out what all of our hosts are talking about all across the Star Trek franchise. I would love to hear from you about today's show, hear what you think about Unexpected, hear what you think about Trip, and, you know, why you shouldn't stick your hands into a box of pebbles when you don't know where those pebbles have been. You can reach us in a wide variety of ways. You can go to our website and go to trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is trekfm. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. On Google+, Plus, we have a community. Just search G Plus Communities for Trek.afilm and you'll find us there. We have forums at trek.afilm slash forums. You can send us a voicemail through the website. Just go to the show page and look in the left sidebar and you'll see a large item there that you can click. And I'd love to hear your voice, so I do hope you'll take advantage of that. And if you want to find me personally, I'm on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'd love to hear from you. I use that same username all over social media. So you can look me up anywhere, but I really do like Twitter. And I'd love to chat with you. So send me a question or just start a conversation and I'll reply back and we can talk about Trek on there. Elsewhere on the network, besides the Ready Room, which you just heard, as well as this show, Warp 5, you can find me with Matthew Rushing on Literary Treks, where we interview Star Trek authors and we talk about books and comics. Matthew and I do The Orb together, which is all about Deep Space Nine. Matter Stream is an interview show I do about the world inspired by Star Trek. Hyper Channel is Star Trek news every single day. I share my thoughts and a few stories with you. And then I have Continuing Mission, where I interview the people who create Star Trek fan films, games, and other ways that we keep the franchise alive. Before I let you go, I would like to tell you about our sponsors for today's show. First, there's Audible.com. They are the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere online. They have more than 150,000 titles waiting for you right now. And as a Trek Film listener, you can get one of those titles absolutely free. All you need to do is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up for the trial. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that audiobook. That's yours and it's absolutely free. But if you love podcasts, I know you're going to love audiobooks. I certainly do. So go try them out at audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And by doing that, you're really helping us out because the money we get from Audible when you sign up for the trial... It almost covers the cost of hosting Warp 5 for one entire month. So that is a huge help to us. And we really thank you for doing that. And we thank Audible for supporting the show and the network. We'd also like to thank TrekFan. TrekFan is not just a Star Trek fan club. It's an adventure. It's a way for you to take your love for Star Trek and put it to use to help the world become a better place. You'll collaborate with other fans. You'll solve real-life missions They also have a great feature called Starfleet Academy. And in Starfleet Academy, 
they will actually send you a Star Trek novel absolutely free. It's a random Star Trek novel. When you finish reading it, you just pass it on to a friend and spread the Star Trek love. All you need to do in return is to send Trek fan a review of the book. And they're compiling a database of reviews. And they're not a library, so you don't have to send that book back. They do want you to just share it with someone else. And the best thing about this is it's absolutely free. You just need to go to fm.trekfan.org and join Trekfan. They have many other things for you to do there as well. It's not a book club. It's actually a fan club, but a very unique fan club. So go check it out today and find out everything that they have there. If you love Star Trek and you want to be active and you want to interact with other fans and you really, really want to, to expand your love for Star Trek into something that matters to everyone, you need to check out TrekFan. Again, go to fm.trekfan.org and be sure to use that special URL so that they know that you heard about it here on Trek FM and Warp 5. That's fm.trekfan.org and we really thank TrekFan for their support of the show and the network as well. One more thing I'd like for you to do is to go check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you love this jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me Here on Warp 5, you're going to love Andrew's album. In addition to this track, he has nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. It's a great way to relax, you know, get into the jazz mood and enjoy your Trek all at the same time. You'll find the album in iTunes or on Amazon. Go check it out. Pick it up today. You're going to love this album. Really great stuff there by Andrew. Well, that's the show for this week. Again, I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit different conversation about Enterprise. I'll be back next week with our usual format of discussion of the minutiae of Enterprise. So I hope you'll join me then here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>